Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, we will be reading from Exodus chapter 16, which is page 112 in your pew Bible. Uh, again, that is page 112, and I'm actually going to pick up at the tail end of chapter 15 and set the context for Brian. Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, says this, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. This is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hands in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs 
Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he, had give, he, had ga- he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Thank you, Pastor Charlie. Let me finish up the reading with just a few more verses, I think. Actually, verse 20. It's a lovely verse. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry to them. with them. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? That's how we finish that set. Israel has settled into a routine. The shininess of freedom has worn off and the hardship of wilderness life has set in. And so the people complain. In response, God generously provides for their physical needs each day. But sure enough, some of them hoard for each day. God also sets apart one special day so that they might grow in their trust and their reliance upon him. Yet again, some of them ignore the gift of that day. Each and every time, God lovingly provides for his people. Yet over and over again, they grumble and complain, dissatisfied with what they've been given, always wanting something different or something more. They disregard God's instructions, even though he has freed them and is actively guiding them and providing them each and every moment. Sometimes they even do the very opposite of what he commands. Okay, so what's up with this? I mean, come on, you Israelites. You've witnessed some of those miraculous events in history. You've seen the plagues of of Egypt. You participated in Passover and walked on dry land across the Red Sea. And yet you are still unbelieving, untrusting, indifferent, and outright rebellious. I mean, what is going on here? Well, the answer goes back to an even earlier portion of the Bible, Genesis 3. And from there we learn that the short answer is this. Those Israelites... And we ourselves are fallen. We're all predisposed in the core of our being to believe the lie of the evil one who says, you shall be as gods. And our tendency to believe this lie has landed us in a mess. And from Genesis 3 on, the entirety of the Bible is about the God of the universe lovingly and repeatedly giving himself to a people he has chosen, but who continuously reject him. And this episode in uh, Exodus 16 that Pastor Charlie has read, 
This is a grand example of that. Later on in the New Testament, God's giving eventually culminates in the gift of his own son to death. And the good news of the sending of Jesus is that our fallenness is not the end of the story, both for the world and for us personally. You and I have the gift of the Holy Spirit actively working in us now to restore the image of God that was lost in the fall, forming us, reforming us into the image of Jesus. God has not given up on us, and he never will. But on our side of things, as human beings, this side of heaven, well, let's be honest, we struggle. We struggle against our remaining fallenness. One of the areas in which we struggle is in our brains, and specifically in our own thought processes. You see, you and I, because of the fall, you and I are biased towards the negative. We have this internal threat system that, if not sanctified, will constantly focus on the negative aspects of our surroundings. You all have probably heard the research from organizations like the Gottman Institute that say that it takes five to seven positive events in our lives to counteract just one negative event in our brains. Ever heard that? You want proof of that? Remember what Pastor Charlie just read. It's right here. Think about it. Even after witnessing God's providential care for them over and over again, in the face of what they perceived to be a threat, the Israelites turned negative. They began to grumble, and they rebelled. But then there's us. Now, we're much more advanced, right? We would never fall into such a trap of such silly thinking and all this kind of thing. I mean, humanity has made so much progress, yada, yada, yada. Folks, if you ever wonder, or if you run across somebody who wonders whether the Bible is relevant today or not, here's the thing. Human nature has not changed in thousands of years. And because of that, the word that God spoke centuries ago is still as relevant then as it is today. You and I, we don't need a few tips for life. We don't just need a bit of fine-tuning. Friends, at the end of the day, we need not a life coach, but a Savior. A Redeemer who will tell us the truth about ourselves and about the depths of the Father's love for us. But if it's not enough that all of us have within us this internal threat detection system, all of us now, or most of us, now carry around with us an external threat detection system that wrecks havoc on our ability to enter into the shalom that God desires for us. Want to see what one of these external threat detection systems look like? Right here. I bet you have one too. Graphic information about every threat from around the planet and beyond, three million miles away. There's an asteroid that may come a million miles close to planet Earth. Oh boy, here it comes. 
All this information is now at our fingertips, and we can't seem to avoid paying attention to it. Why? Two reasons. Number one, again, our internal threat detection systems are wired that way, and then secondly, it's because the software systems and these things are wired that way too. They're designed to lure our attention toward it. And to do that, they use algorithms and top-notch graphics. So what's the result? Studies after COVID uh, are now revealing these types of things. Studies indicate that in 2008, about 7.9, I say about, that's pretty, pretty exact, isn't it, Charlie? Uh, 7.9 of young adults struggle with dealing with anxiety in any, any given week, okay? Now, 2023, the figure is up to 57% among adolescent girls and young women. So think about this with me. What is probably the dif biggest difference in our culture between 2008 and 2023? It's a smartphone, the ability to access an almost infinite amount of information at our fingertips. And the old moniker about, you know, the evening news, if it bleeds, it what? It leads. It's the same with a smartphone. So every time there's a threat or a conflict, a disaster, real or otherwise, somewhere in the world, we're going to hear about it almost eventually in color images. And again, because our brains are fallen, they will always latch on to, or they'll have a tendency to latch on to the negative around us. But the problem is, this is not a complete and accurate picture of current reality here in America, say, in 2023. And this is for at least three reasons. First, there's history. Okay, so you all know I was a history major in college. So I got stacks of dates and facts in my brain that nobody will ever use, except for every once in a while, and here's one of them, all right? So we tend to think things are so bad right now. They have never been this awful. It is just terrible. The world is going to hell in a handbasket, on and on and on and on and on. In the 1300s, when the bubonic plague swept through, it killed over 50 million people in Europe in North Africa. That's more than 60% of Europe's entire population dead in the streets. Now friends, I don't want to minimize any difficulty that we might be going through right now, both individually uh, or as a country, but friends, that is bad. I could cite many, many other equally horrific stats uh, like this that centuries ago, 20% of women died in childbirth. Folks, that's horrific. That's bad. Secondly, we think that things are more terrible than they've ever began, been because of our tendency to idealize the past. Want evidence of this? Go back to our passage again that Charlie read for us this morning. Genesis, sorry, Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. It says this. The Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. 
that you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly. No, they didn't. (laughs) They were slaves. They didn't have all the food they wanted. And back during this period, no one, including royalty, ate meat all the time. It was too too expensive and too rare. The point is, is our minds tend to idealize the past as a defense mechanism to help us deal with a sense of uncertainty and stress that we might feel in the present. And then finally, this negative predisposition. It doesn't take into consideration what is the ultimate reality for us as followers of Christ. And that is the real but sometimes imperceptible coming of the kingdom of God. The message of the whole Bible from Genesis chapter 3 through the book of Revelation is that God's rule and reign is being restored over all of creation. And the good news is that you and I have been called to be a part of what God is doing in the world. But if we only concentrate on the negative things around us, mentally this is what will happen. We will move from our fight or flight mode to our shutdown mode, otherwise known as a serious condition called depression. Where in our minds at least we can't seem to feel or do anything. It's like we're paralyzed. So let me nuance this for just a moment. All of us go through times in our lives when we feel whatever you might want to call it, we might feel blue or down. Some people say that depression is the common cold of mental health, meaning that just like almost none of us are immune to a common cold, so none of us will ever be this side of heaven free from having a tough emotional season in our lives. Then there's what is known as clinical depression. This is different. This is something that is caused by a chemical imbalance or or maybe a trauma of some sort. This is where professional help is needed and the availability of such help should not be ignored. What is consistent in both of these situations is the need to keep our eyes on him during these seasons in our lives. So the question is, how can we do this? What does this look like? Well, thankfully, God has given us the answer to all this and he's given it to us over and over again throughout the scriptures and in places it might sound like this enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues through all generations or it might sound something like this give thanks to the Lord For he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Our sanctified approach to the world, both as individuals and as a church family, is to practice gratitude. Expressing gratitude consistently over time offers a myriad of benefits. And recently, a number of these have been confirmed or discovered by neuroscientists. Uh, I want to walk us through a number of these benefits of an attitude of gratitude. And then after that, I do want to share with you a number of ideas about how we might be able to 
and graft uh, a sense of gratitude into our lives. So first let's look at what might be considered some of the personal benefits of expressing gratitude. So it increases, I'm sorry, it decreases anxiety and depression. It reduces pain by releasing dopamine and serotonin into our systems. I mean, it's almost like the God who made us might know something about us. That expressing gratitude, which we are commanded, which we are called to do in the scriptures, would actually bring us alive. But who'd have thunk it? Practicing gratitude contributes to better sleep. And we all know that sleep contributes to our overall health. Then there are social benefits. When we express gratitude for others, it actually builds neural connections in our brains. It improves relationships because it helps us to see others not as threats, but as helps in our lives. Gratitude cultivates a spirit of generosity. And gratitude enhances empathy. Some would say that empathy is the basis of all authentic human communication. Finally, there are what we might call creative benefits because gratitude creates better access to our entire brains, which allows us to see more possibilities. It activates the prefrontal context of the brain. You know, that thing in uh, middle, uh, uh, middle school boys that's not fully developed. It makes them do crazy things in the Dominican Republic. I'm just saying. Okay, what stays in the what happens in the DR stays in the DR, right? Okay. The prefrontal cortex is the place in the brain where we solve problems, regulate emotions, it allows us to focus and to make future plans. It builds neural pathways that allow us to consider previously unconsidered possibilities. It increases energy and enthusiasm. And teams that practice gratitude are more creative and they handle mistakes better. Again, it's almost like God knew what he was doing when he originally wired us to be a people of gratitude. And it's taken social psychologists many years just now to figure this out. So how can we build in to our lives a spirit of gratitude so that we might experience these God-given benefits? Well, to answer this, I want us to step back just a moment again, and I want us to consider how people change, okay? So in the ancient biblical world, there were at least two approaches to this. The Greeks believe that we can think our way into a new mode of behavior. In other words, if we get our heads on straight and just think positive thoughts, we will begin to express that on the outside. As Dr. Phil would say, how's that working out for you? Probably not too well. Hit or miss, right? Sometimes it works, uh, but sometimes not. The Hebrews took the opposite approach. So catch this. They believed the better way was to behave our way into a new way of thinking. To behave our way into a new way of thinking. In other words, put into practice the kinds of God-honoring habits and disciplines that he desires for us, and then watch how he uses those to change us on the inside. 
So let's look at some of these habits that God has given us that we can use. These are just a few examples. There will be a number that you have as well, and that's great. But number one, first, simply speak words of gratitude. Don't assume that people know that you are grateful. Gratitude is only gratitude when it's expressed. Try keeping a gratitude journal. Write down things for which you are grateful each day. Smile. Smile your way to gratitude, regardless of the circumstances. If you're already feeling grateful on the inside, then tell your face. Begin meetings with gratitude. As the meeting starts, you might ask those you were leading. Could be a Sunday school class, could be a committee meeting, could be anything. Ask folks to share for a while the things for which they are grateful. And finally, pray before meals. I think in the past I may have mentioned to you that my maternal grandparents were vegetable farmers outside of Greensboro, North Carolina. And they had cows and pigs and chickens. And in the fall, they would make molasses from sugarcane. But most of their work was associated with vegetable farming. Uh, so those of you who are younger, you may not be aware of this, but when a vegetable ripens, it has to be picked. I'm not sure that's common knowledge anymore. My grandparents grew, are you ready for this? Corn, collards, sweet potatoes, white potatoes, okra, squash, turnips, green beans, black-eyed peas, something called crowder peas, lima beans, taste like dirt, <laughs> strawberries, cantaloupes, carrots, tomatoes, and hay for the cows. But because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, these things now all ripen in the middle of the hot summertime. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Read the second half of Genesis 3 and you'll see what I'm talking about. Then this food just all magically plops down in the grocery store, right? No. It has to be cut or picked. Sometimes with rubber gloves on because squash and okra, by the way, are very itchy when they come off the plant. It's very hard work. Okay, so who does this picking? Anybody know? Well, before there were migrant workers, uh, farmers used to have these people called grandchildren. <laughs> and I was the oldest of 15 of those. So my uncles got to do the fun stuff like drive the tractor, right? I never got to drive a tractor. They sent me to the fields. Probably it's my intellectual capacity was more attuned to that. Anyway. Oh, by the way, my wife, Tracy, wants me to plant a vegetable garden in our backyard. <laughs> she thinks that would be fun. 
I don't think so. We'll see. The hard summer days on the farm would go something like this. My grandparents would get up very early in the morning, probably before the sun would rise, and they would make a big igloo water jug with ice. Sometimes they put cherry Kool-Aid in it. And then they would go out in the fields to start. Then one of them, usually my grandmother, would come back to the farmhouse in a truck to get my sister and myself and any others who might struggle, straggle in about 8 o'clock in the morning. She would take us out to the fields, and then we would come back for lunch. Dirty boots and tennis shoes were kicked off at the door. We would sit down at the long formica-top kitchen table, white bread, Duke's mayonnaise, and tomato sandwiches all around. It was, shall we say, difficult for the one grandchild who did not like tomatoes. I'm just saying And my grandfather would sit at the head of the table and he would pray a simple prayer in each and every time, sometimes so quiet we could barely hear it. Our Father in heaven, give us grace to be thankful for these and other blessings of life. Pardon us for all of our sins and save us for Christ's sake. Amen. You know, sometimes things were better in the past. Friends, pray at mealtime in public. I know this is falling away in common practice. Who cares? Be weird. Any of y'all been to Asheville lately? There's this bumper sticker, right? What does it say? Keep Asheville weird. Here's God's call on your life. Keep Christianity weird. Be countercultural. Live on a different plane. Practice a life of gratitude. People around us are literally starving and falling apart because of a lack of it. But gratitude only makes sense if there is someone in your life to whom you were thankful. Without him, It's just self-congratulation. And I think that's kind of sad. Gratitude is not just a Thanksgiving season thing. The next time you're with others, share around the table those things for which you are thankful. Thank God for his presence in your life. And speak gratitude over one another. Life is hard. Maybe tell them that you love them. But remember, the ultimate source of our gratitude is God. The desert journey is long and hot and scary. And so is life. Don't go at it alone. Instead, be grateful to the one who provides manna in the desert. To the one who gave his only begotten son so that you might live to the one who has left his spirit with us so that we may be a part of his work here on earth that is of yet to be done let's pray together great God of Moses and Aaron thank you that 
You've set your Holy Spirit upon us to make us a people of gratitude. Continue to sanctify our hearts and minds so that we would continue to grow as a people who keep their eyes on you and who praise you no matter what may come our way. We know that you love us and you you work all things together for our good. We trust you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.